Hello! Welcome to the Arts and Learning Conservatory monthly masterclass series, where we invite industry professionals to share their knowledge and make artistic learning more accessible. If you'd like to learn more or sign up to join our next masterclass live, please visit us at artsandlearning.org. This is my first masterclass. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous, but very excited. Um, I was going to kick things off because there's a really common misconception in voiceover that it's really just about your voice and that's it. You just need a cool sound and that's all that voice acting is. And that is so far from the truth. It is all about the acting and the voice is important too, but there is a voice for every role and it's really just about how you embody that character and being the right fit for a character. So I thought I would do something, a little exercise where basically I'm gonna need a few volunteers because there's more people than I was expecting. Um, and I'll probably do it with three, three people. And I'm gonna give you just a line to say and a prompt of who you're talking to. And I just wanna show how when you're able to sit and focus and think about who you're delivering a line to, it totally changes what that line means. So who wants to be my guinea pig to start? <laughs> I'll give I you saw, oh, Brian, I'll do you after, but I saw Shannon raise her hand first. Sure. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to unmute. Yeah. And your, your line is, I'm ridiculous. No, you're ridiculous. But this first time, I want you to say it as if you're talking to your best friend and you're just hanging out with your best friend. Okay. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> no, you're ridiculous. So how would you say that now if you're talking to someone that you really dislike? I'm ridiculous? No, you're ridiculous. And if you're saying it to a crowd of people and maybe the character description is you're a villain and these these this crowd is booing you and they called you ridiculous or a name. I'm ridiculous. No, you're ridiculous. So you can see there were some subtle changes of like who, when you're focusing and thinking about who you're talking to, it's going to change the characterization. And in a script, it will definitely, it will give you that insight, but sometimes it doesn't fully tell you too much. And sometimes you'll get a script where there'll literally just be line, 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 just numbered one through five. And you kind of have to choose on your own who you're talking to. Um, Brian, if you wanted to try it, your line is, um, what should I do? Uh, yeah, I love you. It's I love you. And you're saying it also first say it to your best friend and it could be jokey. It could be honest. It could be however you would say that. Sure. I, <laughs> I love you. Great. Now it's someone you don't like. So how would you say I love you to someone you really dislike? <laughs> I, I love you. <laughs> I love it. And then a crowd also, maybe they're cheering for you this time. I love you. I love it. That was great because it totally just changes the characterization 100%. Um, no, that's awesome. But so that's something that whenever I'm breaking down a script and especially like I was saying, when it's a script that doesn't have the full breakdown of where you are and what you're doing, it's something that I choose as I'm reading the sides. Like, okay, I know I have three lines that are kind of similar how do I change this up? Well, for this first line, I'm going to talk to my best friend is just a go-to for me. Um, my second line, I'm going to choose that maybe I'm in a really small space and I can't be too loud. So I, I'm changing my voice and, and, and in that 
with the acting, uh, I, I'm, I'm changing the character and, and lowering that tone. And then I might do one that's yelling, even if it doesn't call for it, just to show the casting director's kind of a range of the character, if that makes sense. Um, so that's a fun, that's an exercise that you can always do when you're just trying to figure it out. You can also always do two takes when you are auditioning. And at that point, I don't know who's auditioning and who isn't in this class yet, but, um, just to show a difference in, in that characterization. Um, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you are actively auditioning or are, uh, I guess, raise your hand if you're actively auditioning. Oh, nice. A lot of people. That's amazing. Okay, cool. So then you know a lot of what I'm talking about here. Um, I wanted to also touch on, so the first thing that's really important for anybody that doesn't have an agent yet, or is starting to look for an agent is knowing if an agent is legit or if it's, if it's a scammy kind of situation. And the main thing I always tell people is an agent will only ever take a percentage from the work that you book through them. Because I've had horrible instances where people that I know, or even I, my younger sister signed up for one of these companies, it'll be uh, kind of they'll market it as if it's a class situation, but then it's like, but we'll have agents here that will sign you, but you have to pay specifically for these headshots in this class, and you have to go to these people and pay us directly. And I just always like to tell anybody that I'm talking to about the industry that that is a scam. And the only way an agent makes money is off of a booking. For non-union work, it can be up to 20%. For SAG, it's 10% is, is what is the basic rate. Um, and then as far as, I kind of want to see what questions people have, because I feel like a lot of these things I've bullet pointed here are going to be asked anyway. So if you have a question, you can either physically raise your hand or you can do a little, I think there's like a hand raising thing on Zoom here. Um, cause I want to answer what people are curious about if anybody has a question, <laughs> I, I have one. Sure. Uh, so you, I know you started on camera and then you recently went into voiceover. Did you have to taper the way that you act for the medium? Definitely. It's, it's learning how to put your emotion into your voice instead of relying on your facial expressions was a huge thing I had to learn. I, I funny enough, was listening back to old auditions with my friend last night and they were terrible. It was when I first started auditioning and I was listening back and I'm like, wow, you can't tell that I'm smiling. You can't tell what I'm feeling here. I just was saying things in a cartoony voice and thinking like that, this is what it is. And as soon as I realized, like, no, I need to figure out a way. And it, it is by being honest still. So now when I have an audition and the character is smiling, I'm not just standing there saying it like I'm happy. I really have a smile on my face. And you can kind of hear that come through when you're when you're talking with a smile. It's just it's different than trying to sound like you're happy without it. So learning how to do that was really important. And then microphone placement is important too. Um, making sure your sound setup, especially now during the pandemic, it's uh, having, especially if you're auditioning, having a space that is soundproofed correctly is even more important than the kind of microphone you're recording on because a good mic is going to pick up everything. So you want to make sure that your space is dead and you're not hearing, like for me, I'm in an apartment and I built a booth out of a closet. And so making sure I wouldn't hear my neighbors when they're loud and stomping or things like that. Um, was something I needed to learn too that I never thought about with the on-camera stuff, obviously. Like I never thought I'd be working out of a closet one day. <laughs> but we make it work how we can. Uh, but no, the main thing was just learning how 
to convey emotions without relying on your eyebrows and your smile and your eyes and, and, and all of that. But again, <laughs> like, no, yeah, of course. Again, just, and I, I took a lot, I threw myself into a lot of classes um, when I was transitioning over to more of the voiceover stuff, because again, that misconception of, well, cartoons are big and it's all about the sound and, and just learning that the similarity with the on-camera world is, it is still, it's still just acting. And that's something else. A lot of the trends, it's really, really, really important. First of all, if you figure out what kind of voiceover you're most interested in, for me, it's animation and video games. I do commercial work as well. But um, doing your homework, which honestly, the homework is really fun because it's watching cartoons and watching cutscenes or playing video games, but making sure you're keeping up with what the current trends are because it changes constantly. Like cartoons when we were all, when I was growing up at least, were really, really broad, like SpongeBob style comedy, Fairly Odd Parent style comedy. And there are still some shows like that, but I would say, the majority of the auditions I get now, even for the kids' cartoons, ask for more naturalistic, where it's more about just hitting the comedy beats versus being a crazy character voice. And there, there are exceptions to that too, but they'll usually list like, well, this character is a zany guest star. But if you're reading for the main character of a series nowadays, they want someone that's relatable to the audience. That's not going to be too crazy and too wild because that might get annoying for a viewer if the character's bouncing off the walls nonstop because we're used to the Bob's Burger type comedy now um, where it's more dry and deadpan. So keeping up with trends is is super important. That's one of my biggest pieces of advice is like watch cartoons if you want to work in cartoons. Um, and same with the commercial world. Uh, radio, I'm not sure if there is a platform like this, but do you, if, if you're not aware of it, there's a website called iSpot.tv and you can look up any commercial um, that's currently on the air. So when I have an audition for a commercial for a brand, let's say it's Toyota, I'll go on there and then I'll type in Toyota and I'll look up what their recent ad campaigns have been like to see what that tone is, just to try to match it. Um, same with when I do animation uh, auditions or video game auditions, it's a little trickier because they're very tight-lipped with a lot of the information in the emails. They don't like to tell you what you're auditioning for, especially with video games pretty often. But I'll try to see if they list a director or a studio or anything, and I'll try to just do as much research as I can to see what type of a project it is. Sometimes you can tell when you're reading the sides. You'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a war game. Like, I understand the type of character they're looking for. Um, but yeah, and knowing just differentiating between the genres too. Cause there's a difference with even just animation and video games, a naturalistic animation read for the most part still will have beats of comedy in it. Whereas a naturalistic video game read, I would say nine times out of 10, they're looking for like a very cinematic grounded as if it was a movie kind of, uh, of, of a read, uh, at least in my experience, unless it's like bug snacks, then it's, <laughs> then it's a little bit more goofy. Um, if anybody else has a question, let me know. Otherwise I will, I'll touch on demo reels a little bit too. All right. Oh, wait, John, did you raise your hand? I did raise my yes. hand. Can you oh, hear yeah. me? Okay. Yes, I can. Um, so tell me, it's a two part question. Yeah. What was your first voiceover gig mm -hmm. and what was your most difficult voiceover gig? Ooh. And, oh, and in and, and addition to that, why? Okay. 
Not well, why is, with the first one. Why, of course. Why was this your first job? No, um, <laughs> <laughs> my first voiceover job, my like first first was when I was a little kid living in New York. I ended up booking a Lucky Charms voiceover commercial. And then that transitioned to doing a lot of the uh, tricks cereal and tricks yogurt and kind of everything under the General Mills umbrella. So that was my first thing as a as a kid. But I almost don't consider that my, it is, it is my first voiceover job, but I almost don't consider it that because I didn't even understand voiceover at that point in my life. I was 10 and I was just like, oh, okay, this is what voiceover is. But I, I, again, I learned so much more as I grew up. So my first job that like is what made me realize I wanted to be a voice actor was Dead Rising 3. It was a mocap game. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. There was a huge learning curve just because I'd never done motion capture before and it's a mix of on-camera theater and voiceover. And then you have a camera right attached to your face with a bright light shining at it whenever they're rolling. And you have to learn how to look past it and not notice it, which weirdly was easier than expected. Because I feel like as soon as you're in that scene, you're, for me at least, I'm just, I'm in it. So I don't notice what's actually right there. I'm, I'm using my imagination. But that was that. Hardest? That one's difficult. Honestly, it's something I can't say what it is yet, but it's a project I'm working on currently and it's just really technically difficult. There's a lot of um, ADR aspects just because of the pandemic kind of messing up how we were able to get this project done. So it's dealing well, with- Technically that was the, that was busy. It wasn't technically as an actress. For, for which? I said, so this new project that you're working on, the super secret stealth one, that is technically difficult, not as an actress. Yes and no, it's both. And I wish I could go into more detail, but it's because of being able you to- You talk to me later then. Still, yeah, right now. Um, <laughs> being able to still emotionally connect while having a lot of technical parameters is what's making it hard, but I love it. Right. Like it's still really fun and it's a challenge, but it's difficult. As far as difficult emotionally, um, well, it wasn't, I, I don't know if it was difficult. Honestly, I have so much fun with each role that even the like really intense screaming and crying scenes, as soon as they call cut, even if I have like snot running down my face, I'm like, that was great. Let's do it again. Like <laughs> I don't take my roles with me. As soon as they call action, I'm in it. And as soon as they call cut, I'm out of it. People I know work in, in different ways, but that that's my, I have the play pretend method that I've been doing since childhood. <laughs> well, I've got plenty of other questions, but I want to leave it up for everybody else. So. I'm not yeah. going to hog yet. Of course. No worries. That was a good question. Um, oh, hold on. I just saw Rebecca raised her hand. Okay. Hi. Um, Hi. So my question is, how do you figure out like what your type is and like kind of like what your niche or maybe like for you, like how did you find yours? Yeah, I started realizing the roles that I was getting called back for and booking all had some similarities, um, which for me, what I book more than anything is like strong, deeper voiced female characters that are either warriors in some aspect or they fight and stand up for what's right. Like they're very intense characters for the most part, or now moms, moms is a thing, but like deeper voiced moms. And it's so funny because I fought against that for a while because I, I I just knew that was what I was booking and that was what it was going to be. But I was like, no, I only want to play little kids. Like, that's what I want to do. And I get to every now and then. And it's still so much fun. 
But, but once I like accepted, like, no, I have a, I don't have a crazy deep voice, but I have a slightly deeper tone than a lot of my friends. And, um, as soon as I was like, all right, these are the cool badass roles I'm going to play. That's okay. I, I'll accept this, <laughs> but taking the time to get to know your voice, I think is what's really important. Um, be it doing exercises at home, um, reading, I, I read everything. That's something that I do just for fun. And when I need to refresh myself, I'll read the back of like bathroom spray when I'm in the bathroom or something, but I'll read it out loud and just trying out different voices and different accents and seeing what feels comfortable for me, finding what my strong suits are. It's also something if you do have an agent or if you have a casting director friend or someone else in the industry, you can talk to them and ask them like, what do you like hear out of me? Because it's, it's a difficult thing to pinpoint when you do have a, like I have a range, like I can voice babies and I can voice elderly people, but then like honing in specifically, like what you're like, what you were saying, what your niche is, is something that it's just, it takes time and it just takes you kind of feeling what is the most comfortable for you. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. All right, Cindy. Yeah, I have two questions. Um, yeah. One is I'd really like to know more about ADR sure. and, and using your voice. And then you just mentioned your play pretend method. Can you tell us what the play pretend method is? Sure. The play pretend method is literally playing pretend. Like when I was a little kid playing dress up with my friends in my room, I would just get really into the characters I played. And so when I act... It's a part of my brain. Uh, I just go back to childhood to where I'm like, well, this is the situation and we got to save the princess and we're saving the princess now. And I'm just fully in the moment, I guess, is, is a better, more professional way to say it. But for me, I'm like, ah, I'm playing pretend. Um, and then for ADR, uh, yeah, there's so much to ADR. There's so many different facets of it. But basically... There's looping, which I do a lot of, which for anybody that doesn't know what looping is, basically after a movie or a TV show or game has been pretty much finished in post-production, they're, they're editing everything, um, they'll bring in a group of us actors to voice all of the background actors or the extras on set because when you're filming a movie, obviously you have your lead characters having a discussion and that's what the scene is. And if everybody was actually talking behind them, they wouldn't get clean audio. So we go in and we give life to the background of all the scenes. So when you watch a movie and you're, the characters are at a crazy party and music's blasting and you hear people yelling like, I'll have a shot or like, yeah, he's over there. That's background or that's loopers doing the voices for the background actors. Um, it's a really fun gig. It's mainly improvisation. Um, when it's not a pandemic, we all go to a sound stage, depending on what pro where, what studio the project was a uh, part of. So a lot of the times it's Paramount or Sony or wherever it is. Um, and we're all in a group together and there's different terminology that you would learn in, on a looping stage where you do a donut, which literally you walk in a circle by the microphone so you can get this the Doppler effect or a pass by also for the Doppler effect or you'll just do basic walla where everybody's talking at once. The harder parts are sometimes matching the mouths when it's again, full on improvisation and you don't really know what this extra is saying, but they were mugging the camera and they're right up there. And it's like, we got to find words that fit into their mouth and make it 
work. <laughs> but the good thing about looping is normally people don't notice it in movies if it's done well. So you don't have to worry about being witty or anything. Honestly, the more boring the conversation, the better, <laughs> unless it's a really specific thing and they would tell you that in advance. But then with other ADR, um, I also do voice matching, which is when a celebrity isn't available to come in. It doesn't have to be a celebrity. It just, for me, I've happened to do this for celebrities. But let's say it's someone that's already filming their next major film in another country and they're not able to go in to re-record a line or two or some fight efforts or what be it. They'll try to find, casting will try to find someone that sounds exactly like them to the point where the audience won't, won't be able to tell. Um, and so that I've done quite a bit and I'll go in when I've booked these roles and I will have their face on screen and I will have to fit my voice into their mouth. <laughs> so it's, it's a really, it's really fun, but it's a really technical process as well as you have to also sound like them and act like them. Um, sometimes I've ADR'd myself for things, um, which again, it just comes down to, it's a timing thing. There's, there's the main method with ADR is the three beeps and then you go on the imaginary fourth beep. So you'll look at the screen, there's a streamer that goes by and you'll hear beep, beep, beep. And then when that fourth beep would come in is when you're supposed to speak. So it's again, a learning process. The first time I did it, I was terrible at it. Um, <laughs> ah, thank you, Tammy. Yes. Automatic dialogue replacement. In case you didn't know, I Googled it. <laughs> Amazing. Can I um, ask you, cause you said you work in groups uh, and I heard about loop troops. Well, yeah. how do you get into a loop troop? Or I've never really seen any casting for ADR. Uh, yeah, it's, oh. it's really, really difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, especially as an adult. It's almost impossible to get in unless you speak multiple languages or you are something very specific that they're looking for. Um, I got in by, and I shouldn't say that, you can also get in... Um, Sometimes some loop group leaders will teach classes on looping and that's a great way to get in front of them. And that's not, there's no guarantee that you would get booked from their class, but it's a way to meet them and get to know them. You can also try cold emailing, but I just know from experience and from trying to help other friends get into it, it is, it's a really difficult, small kind of group thing. Um, I got in because when I was a kid, I took a looping class and I was, 12 maybe when I did that. And so if you're a kid, it's, it's a lot easier to get in at that point. And then you kind of continue working as you get older. But the only people I know that have gotten in as adults speak like three languages. So that's why they're, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's not impossible. And I don't want to like discourage anybody from trying, but I don't want to give false hope either. It's just, it's a really small world. Um, you have to be in a group to be, you know, to be a looper. Yeah. So basically there are looping coordinators who then hire actors for their groups. So if you are interested in looping and you have experience in improvisation and it's something that you're really looking uh, to do, you can go on IMDb and look up who looped a movie. So it'll say like uh, ADR voice casting or looping loop casting. Um, and you can always attempt a cold email. You can always Google them and see if they're teaching any workshops or classes. Um, but that's, that's what I would recommend if that's something you're really interested in for ADR specifically when it is like the voice match or pretty much, I guess, just for the voice matches, those have all almost all been auditions I've gotten through my agent though. So that's a little separate. So it, you, that's another way to get into it. I 
when I took this class as a kid, I started looping. I took a long break from voiceover, which now I'm like, ha, that's funny. Look where life brought me. Um, but I ended up booking a voice match for a movie. And when I went in, I was working directly with the looping coordinators and I didn't realize that. And I was like, oh, you guys do looping. I used to do that as a kid. So then they said, would you like to sit in on a session and try it out again? And we can see what you can do. You can see if you like this still. And so that's what started my looping career again, like I jump started it as an adult. Um, so voice matching is a great way to get in as well, but voice matching is also a specific skill. And this is another thing with, with voiceover in particular, I do a lot of, I do TikTok and I do a lot of impressions on there. And so a lot of people think like, oh, I have to be good at impressions to be a voice actor. You don't at all. <laughs> like if you want to do voice matching, yes, of course, and work on the actors you think you can match and hope that you'll end up getting an audition for them. That happened to me recently. There's an actress that I have been practicing forever because I'm like, I think I have a similar tone. And then I ended up auditioning and booking her voice match. And I was like, great. I'd been preparing for this. Um, sometimes it's random. But I, uh, yeah, you don't need to be good at impressions to be a voice actor. It's something that's fun to do and can help in some instances. Honestly, sometimes some characters I've come up with have been bad impressions. Like it'll start where I'm trying to do an impression of someone and it'll morph into something completely different. <laughs> and then that'll be like, oh, that's a fun character voice. Um, but yeah, for, for, for voice matching specifically, that's, that's when you need to have a good ear for, for that. They usually will send a sound sample of the actor and then I love it when for the audition, it's the exact same lines that you're listening to. But a lot of the times they'll trip you up and they will not send the exact same lines. And that's good for them to do because they need to make sure you can actually do the voice when you're not just listening and repeating. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yes, Marissa. Hi, I just have a question. I think the pandemic has changed the world and made everything super virtual. And we know that we can do things through Source Connect, um, Source Connect Standard, Source Connect Pro. Um, so my question is, as a, I'm Canadian voice actor, yeah. how would you then, or is it possible to break into the American world? Would you know how to do that? Because yeah. <laughs> you are American, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm American. So I honestly, I don't know much because you have different unions in Canada even, don't you? We do, but we have, we have ATRA, but it is um, synonymous with SAG. With SAG? Yeah. I, I feel so bad that I genuinely do not know. Do you have an agent out there? Uh, no, I have an agent in Vancouver and Toronto. Have so you a talked lot of to them? about sorry, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no, no you're good you're good you're good sorry <laughs> I was gonna say have you talked to them about breaking into the American market I have but they they don't really have any <laughs> they don't really have any solid advice um, yeah so I was just wondering if you had any no I I genuinely I've never had to I, I've never worked on anything in Canada so I wouldn't know maybe there's a U.S. agency you could reach out to or there's websites like actor. I was going to talk about also like places to find auditions if you're not um, currently repped. And Actors Access is a great website, and I I'm sure you could find at least audition opportunities through that. And maybe mm -hmm. through those audition opportunities, you could talk to whomever you end up auditioning with and asking them more about that. I just I don't know that side of it, so I'm sorry I can't. No, that's cool. That. <laughs> no, that was very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Seeing if anybody else has a question. Otherwise, what I will say is demo reels. So I don't know. Oh, did I see TK? Did you raise your hand? 
You did not. You were moving your head. All right. So for demo reels, my advice is, and it sounds like a lot of you guys are already auditioning and working. So you might already have a demo reel or you might already know this, but something that I see that a lot of actors that are just starting out do is rush to make a demo reel. And I recommend against that so, 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 so much. I recommend the first step is to take classes. And I know arts learning is, it has voiceover classes. Um, there are other places with where you can learn, um, through a casting director or a voice director or someone that's actively working in the industry as well. That's what I've done in the past. That's what I still do. Honestly, I take workshops whenever I can. Um, and yes, artsandlearning.org, check it out, which is who put this all on. So thank you guys. Um, but take the time to get to know, like I was saying before, get to know your voice, get to know your types, get to know what you want to be doing within the industry uh, before making a demo reel, because your demo reel is the first thing someone's going to hear. And a first impression is really important. And that's not to say that if you, you know, have a bad audition or you're, you did already send in a demo reel that wasn't quite up to par. That doesn't mean you're, you're canceled forever and it's not going to work out. It just, it's something that's so important and it costs quite a bit of money to get like a really nice demo made that I recommend taking, years, honestly, at least a year of like learning the craft and working on it and becoming a better actor just through classes and learning before even attempting a demo reel. And it's, it's something that people don't like to hear because everybody wants it now. And I'm that same way where I'm like, Oh, I want this thing and I want it now. And I'm so ready. And I've been doing this at home, but until my, my thought process on it is like, until an industry peer tells you or says to you, like, I think you're ready for a demo reel. Like I've been hearing your work and I think that it's totally audition ready and, and you're, you're ready to get into the room and work with all of these people. I, I think that's when it's time to do it. It's also a feeling you have to have yourself. Obviously you can't rely on someone else to tell you, but taking the time, it's just like, it's not as a uh, labor intensive or crazy as being a doctor. You're not in school quite as long, but you wouldn't just jump right into surgery. You train for eight, 10 years, right. To be a doctor with acting, I think people see it as something that's easier and a little more accessible and in ways it is, but it's something where I think taking that time will really help you step up your game so that when you do have that demo reel and you are finally sending it out to different agents and then they're sending it on to casting directors, it's going to be a competitive demo reel. So that's my, that's my demo reel spiel, which rhymes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I also, I'm writing, I'm looking at my little bullet points here. So breaking down and finding a character voice is something I was going to talk about as well. When they include, when casting includes the actual animation, it is so helpful because for me, when I look at a character, I look at their eyes, I look at their mouth, I look at if there's something in that that character art that shows me they might have a different voice than the basic child voice or the basic this voice. Like if I see they have braces, I'm going to make sure that I sound like I have braces when I'm doing my audition. And if they are, I've had auditions where it's an ogre and you see they have these tusks. So you need to have the rounder sound and jut your jaw out and have that tusk sound in there. If I see it's just a cute drawing of a little girl and she has really, really, really big eyes, I'll know that usually that means she's really innocent and sweet. So I'll make that voice really sweet and innocent. So I'll try to match my voice. I, I, 
I know before I was saying like, you can take a bad impression and turn that into a voice and I'll be like, oh, that's a great character for later. I don't do that that often where I'm, I'm have a voice at the ready and then I pull it out for something. It's more that I'll see that character art. I'll read the description. I'll read through, honestly, before I even read the breakdown in the description, I'll read the sides themselves. I'll kind of skip the breakdown if I can. I'll look at the art, skip right to the, to the scene. And I'll see from the context clues what that scene is telling me about the character. And a lot of the times I will lay down my first read through of my audition without reading that breakdown. And then I'll go back and I would say more than half, honestly, I'd say eight out of 10 times, I already hit a lot of the notes that are in that breakdown just by going through that scene um, because writers are good at what they do. And so they're conveying what this character is in, in, in within, the, within the audition sequence. Again, when it's one of those auditions where it is just full on line one, line two, line three. And sometimes they're nice and give you excited over line one and angry over line two. So it's a little something. Then I'll go off the breakdown a lot more. But when you get those full scenes, I, I found that it's really helpful. And I, I also lately have been avoiding reading my auditions until I get into my booth. Uh, and that way, when I lay down my first take, I don't often, I sometimes will use it, but sometimes I won't. But there's something about that first time you record something and it's the first time you're reading it. There's some authenticity that comes out that once you've read through it five times, you lose. So sometimes I'll, I'll, I'm also the kind of person and I know everybody does auditions differently, but if I, I'll, let's say I'll do three takes before I'm like, all right, I feel like I, I have a pretty good audition here, but I'll take line one and two from take one. And then I'll take line three and four from take two. So I definitely do like a little Franken thing with my auditions. And I know some people are like, no, I got to get it all the way through. So it really is personal preference. But when I was doing it the other way where I needed to get it all the way through, I would spend so much time in my booth slaving over it and then feeling horrible about it and then stressing myself out. And I like this where I'm like, okay, less pressure because I liked line one in this one. And I can just, I can just isolate that. Um, but yeah, taking the context clues from the scene, I think is a really good way to help find a character. Um, and then sometimes, and this is advice I've heard and I've, I've had it work but it's hard because when you're thinking this, you might trip yourself up, but basically doing something different than what everybody else is doing is in every workshop, every class I've ever taken, I hear casting say like, oh, you know what? Or they'll tell a story of we ended up booking this person because they did a French accent and we didn't even ask for that, but it was so different and it fit this character or, or whatever it is. So what I've interpreted that as, instead of just trying to be different, realizing that your read is going to be different because you are you and I am me. And if we're auditioning for the same part, we're both going to bring our lives into this. And so that read is already going to be different. I think instead of trying to hit everything perfectly or thinking, well, casting wants this. I don't think that way anymore. I, and it took a long time to train my brain not to. Now I think I want this and I think this is funny or I thought that was really sad and that actually made me emotional or this made me happy with how I did it. That's how I think about my auditions now of because there's no way to know what they want, what casting wants, what a director wants. There's absolutely no way to know because a lot of the times they don't even know what they want. They want you to be what they want. So when you send in a read that's authentically you, and that just means little things like 
I say, um, a lot. So I won't cut out when I say, um, in a scene, even though it's not written in there, or I'll improvise in a little laugh, or I'll find something that just is like a Shelbyism that fits the character. Um, there's an um, but I'll, 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 I'll keep that stuff in. And I, I've realized it doesn't have to be so clean when you send auditions commercials. Yes. But for animation and video games, it can be messy. You can improv a little bit. You can throw in pre-life and post-life um, and making that character your own is what I think those teachers were trying to convey by saying something different. Uh, if you do have something for an audition that is completely different than the breakdown, send that as a second take. There's no harm in sending a second take. I'll do that. Oh, there's my cat. I warned when I was signing in, I was like, my cat's going to pop in here. Um, but sending in a second take is never a bad thing. Don't feel like you have to send in a second take though. Don't feel like, well, I need to show them that I can do it American and British unless it calls for that. If it says like it's this character could be American or British, sure, send two takes, why not? But I, I've, I've fallen into the pressure sometimes of, oh, well, I need to show options and I need to do this. And it's like, no, I just need to send in my one good, nice take and, and call it a day and not stress out so much. <laughs> Um, so that was my spiel on that. Does anybody else have other questions? <laughs> yes, Rebecca. Hi, me again. Hi. Uh, <laughs> so just to kind of circle back to the demo reel thing, because I know, I know we're not supposed to do it before we're really ready. Yeah. But a lot of the auditions that I find do request a demo reel. So is there, do you have any advice on how to handle that? Should you make like a, a fake demo reel just so you have something or? Yeah, I mean, it's again going to be up to you and it's going to be different for everybody. Personally, I would record something from home. Um, I would record maybe a few, like three different character voices and just cut that together if you need to send something off. I would just, I would just wait on spending the two to $4,000 on a demo reel, unless you feel like you're ready. If you feel like you've been training and you feel like you're like, all right, this is the time I've done. I've put in the work. I've done the research. I've done this. I've done that. I, I want to make this real. But if you don't feel like you're there yet, I don't think there's any harm in just having like a, a small sample of what your voice is. It could even just be your natural speaking voice. Um, I will say whenever you do make a demo reel, definitely have your actual voice on there because again, the trends now, especially with animation and games is so naturalistic where it's your voice, but comedic or it's your voice, but whatever the, the scene is that you and, and your demo producer come up with. But I, I have a lot of friends that are now redoing their demo reels to make sure they have them, their own speaking voices on it. Cause a lot of people just go very um, character -y with them. Uh, but yeah, I don't think, I think just having a sample and sending that off should, would suffice for, for those auditions. I have a question uh, to that. It yeah. Would, for having your own voice, would a slate do at the beginning of it? You could do that, but I think acting in your own voice on a demo reel is really important too. Okay. Um, I... My demo doesn't have a slate, but it's also, it depends on what demo producer you go to and how, again, how you want it. I have friends that have demos where they do slate in. I have friends where they have someone else do their slate. Like if they're a male, a woman will do their slate. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, which is super interesting. Um, <laughs> so it's all, yeah, it's all personal preference. And some agencies even have, because they'll now it's all kind of on that one, what is it, voice acting hub or voice casting hub. A lot of agencies have the demo reels on that. Oh, this is actually, I was going to mention this. This website, it is, it's voicecastinghub.com. Um, you can go on there. 
Oh, hi, Simba. My cat is insane. Um, you can go on there and you can listen to other people's demo reels, which I did a lot of research before working on mine because I wanted to hear who the, the voice actors I looked up to, what their demos sounded like. Um, also, I wanted to hear what like the normal length of a demo reel was. But on this website, I'm going to actually do it right now because I meant to do this before I signed on, but Voice Casting Hub. And then you go to Agent Directory. And you can scroll through. So let's say you're wanting to get with uh, Abrams Artist Agency or you want to sign with Atlas or Vox or AVO. You can look on here and see who they have listed as clients as well. You can listen to all their demo reels, what they prefer, see if there are trends within that agency. Um, so I definitely recommend, again, just like iSpot, just doing doing the homework on that before making your demo. Yes, Shannon. Um, so when you're looking for somebody to do your demo, do you need to, I mean, I know that not all demo people are the same caliber, but if you know that you want to go into, uh, video games or commercial or whatever, do you need to find a different, uh, demo producer for each one or do you, or are all demo producers that do this well, do they know how to do all of them or do you do multiple demos with that? I, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, again, it's a personal preference thing and it, it'll be listening to what they've produced because a lot of them do all of the above. They'll do, um, and, and I will also say for professional demos, all you really need is animation, video games, and commercial. If you want to then do uh, a creature sounds demo, if that's a forte of yours, if you want to do Simba, get off the table. What are you doing? Um, if you want to do creature sounds, little kids, uh, narration, that's stuff that I do recommend just doing at home because that just gets way too expensive. And that doesn't need to have all of the producing and the sound effects and everything on it. That can just be straight uh, audio. But for these yeah, it's just doing the research and listening to what that demo producer has done. Because for me, I listened and was like, okay, I like this one studio for uh, animation and video games, but listening to their commercial demos, I was like, I don't feel like this is what commercials sound like now. Uh, it sounded a lot more just the announcery type of commercial, which you hear from time to time. But again, for anybody auditioning, I'm sure you see the breakdowns where they're like real people, not announcer, which it's like all announcers are real people too, guys. Um, but yeah, just, just researching and listening to them. Most demo producers, I mean, all demo producers have websites and most of them have quite a few samples on there and you can look up who, um, who's, whose demos they've worked on and see if that's the style that you're interested in. But you don't have to go to the same person if that answers that. <laughs> yes, Crystal. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Um, so just kind of along the same link. So would it be maybe feasible then, especially for someone who's kind of just starting out to sort of do, um, like you said, maybe not the more expensive thing where necessarily the professionally produced you're at the level to start sending it to agents, but at least something on the smaller scale to put together so you can just start doing maybe like auditions for indie projects and kind of start getting your feet wet with like the process and, and how that works and everything. Like to, yeah. just something to start. Yeah, I I wasn't aware that a lot of auditions because I will say I get my auditions through my agent, so I wasn't aware that they ask for demos for the indie projects. But if you are seeing that as a trend right now, then absolutely, I think just having a vocal sample would be very important and very helpful. 
Um, yeah. Finding copy, reading out of a book that you like, that's I've done in the past, but like reading a excerpt from a book or finding practice copy online and just putting it together as something to send. I think that's great. But again, I would just hold off and you already said it, but I would just hold off on sending that to an agent or, or off to a major casting or anything like that, unless they specifically are asking like just for a vocal sample. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Did anybody? Oh, Brian. Hello. <laughs> so it, it kind of sounds like the point of a demo at this point is actually to get like representation or to send to a casting as opposed to actually getting a job because the job comes through the representation of the casting. Is that right? Yes. For the most part. Yes. Uh, a demo is the most helpful at getting you representation. Um, it's important to have a good demo still just because there are, it's few and far between. I will say though, where it'll just be a direct offer off of a demo reel. Um, sure. I know my agents have sent mine off instead of auditions, but again, it's so rare. I would say 99.5% of the time I'm auditioning for the roles that I end up working on. Um, but it's never a bad thing to have, but that's why I do recommend like when you're getting into specifics, cause I have friends that have 10 different demo reels because they can do crazy creature sounds and really specific things. Um, that's when I'm like, just record those at home. They don't need to be, they obviously should still sound good, but they don't need to be professionally done. Sure. That makes sense. Thank you. I mean this. <laughs> I thought, so Tyler, I'm reading your uh, thing in the chat. I thought many agents prefer that you found work on your own and add it to your portfolio before seeking representation. I haven't heard that. Um, I, uh, that I'm sure is a great thing too, but I don't think that's necessary. I, oh, here, and how long should a demo reel be on average? Uh, a minute to a minute and a half is what I've heard is the best time for uh, for an animation um, and or video game demo. For me, I have my, I have an animation and uh, interactive demo as one, which that's again, personal preference. A lot of people do an animation demo and a video game demo. Um, and I might end up doing that eventually. I've just been putting it off. For commercial, I would say about a minute is probably a good amount of time for for that. But again, everything I'm saying is like it, personal preference. There, you're not, no one's going to say, oh, his demo's two minutes long. I'm not hiring this guy. It's too long. No. So it's, it's totally up to what you can fit in there and you feel confident in. Thanks for answering my question. It's, that's just what I'd heard. So I was curious if you'd heard something different. Yeah, no, I mean, it is it is always easier to get representation when you have a resume. That's just how the industry is. But I don't think like, especially now with voiceover, I think so many doors are open. And even during this pandemic, I know agents have still been signing uh, clients and they're able to listen to your voice and 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 figure out what if you fit into their roster, if they already have someone like you, if they don't have someone like you, if they're desperately in need for exactly what you are. For me personally, with my agency, when I met with them, the reason that I, they signed me is because I had motion capture experience. I did that video game before I was really in the VO world. I ended up booking it through my on-camera agents um, just because with, with uh, mocap, they have that on-camera aspect to it. Um, so when I met them, they were like, we don't have a lot of young women that have motion capture experience. Like this is exactly what we need. So it was kind of right place, right time scenario. I hope that answered that. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think what else I want to talk about. I, 
finding a character voice, training from home again is just reading, <laughs> reading out loud and watching cartoons and what playing the again, I don't I play games and I know a lot of other people don't, but if you want to work in games, you don't have to play the games, just watch the cutscenes to know the vibe of the games. Um, oh, for finding auditions, this is what I was going to say. I personally am not a fan of the pay to play sites because they take advantage. Um, in my opinion, I think that they undercut talent and the rates that are offered on those sites are pretty crappy compared to industry standards. That said, I also understand wanting to audition and have those learning opportunities. So if you are on any pay to play sites, just knowing like the standard rates is really important. And I should... I'm going to link, I need to find it. And I did not look this up beforehand. I did bad. Um, but there's, there are rate guides, global rate guides, just to know if the project you're auditioning for on a site like that is worth it or not, because I've seen castings go for like $50, which is terrible. But yes, as John said, pay to play sites are sites that require you to pay to be able to find work. Exactly. And it's, it's hard because like Actors Access and Casting Frontier um, and LA Casting are reputable sites that I do recommend, uh, backstage.com also, and there are membership aspects to it. So that's where it gets a little confusing because it is still paying to be on this. But pay to play sites specifically are the ones that I disagree with are the ones where it's like the more you pay, the more audition opportunities you get. I don't think that's cool. I think that auditions shouldn't be sold as commodity. It should just be opportunities for actors. Um, but again, just familiarizing yourself with the basic rates for non-union, I believe, um, for animation specifically, uh, a basic non-union rate is $250 an hour with a two hour minimum, uh, plus agent fees. If you go through an agent, the SAG rate currently is, uh, 1030, I believe for union animation. Um, so when I see auditions or hear about people auditioning on those websites for things that are $50 or even lower than that. It's pretty wild. Can I give you the names of the best sites to find? Yeah, so uh, Actors Access, I love. Actors Access, Backstage, Casting Frontier, and LA Casting. They offer, um, they have auditions for on-camera as well as voiceover. And I will say some do veer a little bit more toward the on-camera world. But I've seen some pretty legit, uh, I mean, honestly, there's been auditions I found on Actors Access that I'll send to my agent and be like, hey, what about this one? <laughs> um, I also think having a good relationship with your agent is really important for the people that do have agents already and just not being afraid to reach out and ask them for things and talk to them about what you see yourself uh, on your career trajectory. If they have recommendations on classes, there's something, I don't know if this is everybody, but I know my friends and I in the industry have talked about this, where there's this fear of, of being annoying to your agent or feeling like, you work for your agent when in actuality, technically they work for you, but really it's a partnership because they're making money when you make money. And, but they are the gatekeeper to a lot of opportunities, but just not, not being afraid to have that personable relationship where you can. Cause for me, I I've reached out to my agents before when I had a dry spell and was like, what the heck is going on? Like, what can I do? They recommended classes. They gave me feedback. They were really helpful in helping me step up my game and step up my career. So knowing that they're in your corner, because again, I have, I've in the past and I have other friends that are like, I, I can't ask my agent about this audition. And I'm like, yes, you can. That's what they're there for. <laughs> um, and then I'm seeing in the chat. Yes. Ellie casting. Can you get mocap work without an agent? excuse me, without an agent, or if you have an agent, can you tell them you're interested in that? Absolutely. Well, that's so exactly what I was saying. Call or email or however you communicate with your agent and tell them what you're interested in. Tell them, you know what? 
I've never done motion capture before. I really want to break into this. What do you think I should do? Can you send me mocap auditions? Do you think I should take classes first? Do you have recommendations? I mean, there are classes like the mocap vaults. Um, again, it all just takes a little bit of research of looking up online, reputable places to learn, but mocap vaults, I recommend there's another one that I'm blanking on the name of, um, right now, but if you look up Again, it's through IMDb is a great source, which I'm sure all of you know. But if you look up the games that you play or want to be a part of, you can usually see like who maybe the stunt coordinator was and look them up and see if they are actually a stunt coordinator or if they're more of like a mocap stunt coordinator, because a lot of those those folks teach classes. Um, Tyler, yes. What is your question about PCAP versus voiceover? Uh, so this is kind of uh, piggybacking off of uh, what Shannon was asking, but um, so I was just curious if uh, it makes more sense to start out in uh, voiceover and then transition to performance capture, because I'd like to be able to do performance capture in addition. I just, uh, I don't have a, a whole lot of experience with it. And like considering, it, well, I have more experience with voiceover and considering how little experience I have in voiceover that's saying a lot um so yeah I just didn't know like where I would even go to get that uh experience and like kind of just how to transition into that yeah it's something again where I I'm, I feel so boring that my answer is always take classes but genuinely like look up the classes of who's teaching performance capture and they're at the mocap vaults they specifically have classes I don't know if they do performance capture, uh, just they, they do basic performance capture, but they also do like creature and sword play and learning how to use uh, weapons if you're wanting to work in uh, war games like like Wolfenstein or, or uh, Battlefield. But um, again, that's something that when you do get signed, because I every now and then I will see a mocap audition on like Actors Access or, or LA Casting. But I will say I do get the majority of those auditions through my agent. Um, but it's not really a transitioning thing. It's kind of a hand in hand thing. Like the more VO work you have, the more you'll be prepared for performance capture, even though it's going to have these new new uh, technical things that you'll be doing where you'll, you will be using your face and your body. You're still also relying on your voice a lot. So the more experience you have in either field is just going to be helpful for the other one. All right. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Shannon, with COVID right now, I don't know if there are active classes, but once things, I mean, things are starting to open back up. So once it does open up a bit more, I would check their websites again. Um, and then let me see, where do you look for a good agent, especially with limited experience? That's a hard question. Um, again, I would look up, I, for me, when I was meeting with agents, I did have the, I had a non-camera background. So I had managers that were able to help set up meetings. And I know a lot of people don't have that same path. So it is a little different, but looking at the actors that you look up to, or that you see their career is what you see yourself wanting to do and seeing who they're with, I think is a really good way to start. Um, I will say like the top voiceover agencies, there are a lot, but the, the top voiceover agencies in LA, aside from like the celebrity, like CAA type agencies, um, would be like Vox, Atlas, AVO, CESD, Abrams, which I think they're now A3, um, and SBV is another one. Um, but starting at a boutique agency too, when you're first starting out is great because boutique agencies can give you even more attention than some of the bigger voiceover agencies can. 
um, just because they might have less clients, at least in the on-camera world. I loved when I had a boutique agency because I felt like, again, I had such a close relationship with my agent. I knew that they were in my corner. I knew that I could call them and ask them any question about feedback or whatnot, which in the VO world, getting feedback when that happens, it's, it's like seeing a unicorn. You just, you send out your auditions and you send it into a void and then you either find out you booked it or you never hear anything. And you sit there like, did I like do a good job on that? Was that what they wanted? I'll never know. And that's again, why I've tried to stop thinking like, what do they want and think I'm going to have fun with this. (laughs) Let me see. Any specific sites to find auditions for creatures? I am not sure on that. I don't do a lot of creature work. I've done a little bit here and there, but it's all been like I've booked a role in an animated thing. And then on the day, they'll be like, all right, and you're also going to play this small creature here. And it's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> uh, when I was living in New York, what were the voice acting opportunities like? Is it equal to LA? Um, yes and no. There's a lot more. You you can now, because of the pandemic, you can really live anywhere and work in the VO world, which is fantastic. Again, as long as you have a good setup at home um, or wherever you're able to go to record your auditions and work, you're set. But I will say I, the majority of animation records out here, the majority of most looping and ADR is out here. There are some studios out there that specifically work on projects that are shot out of New York. Um, but I have friends that are, are still in New York and thriving and killing it and work all the time. So really it, it, I think LA is really the hub, but right now during the pandemic, and honestly, the studios have realized how much money they're saving by having actors record from home. So I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot more record from homes, even when things kind of open back up, which I kind of hate because it stresses me out having to engineer at the same time, but also I understand it. (laughs) Um, can I give a pointer to do a baby laugh? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, what do I do? It's such a feeling now. I kind of close off my throat a little bit. So I'll, and I always start with my mouth pretty wide. I'll go like, ah, so it's like something in the back here where I kind of close it off and make my voice a little squeakier. And um, I don't know if that's helpful in the slightest, but I'd then try to just sound like a baby. <laughs> Um, let's see. I know Mind's Eye Tribe. Yeah, they do. They do creature work and action mocap as well. Um, oh, that's great that they're doing online classes. Tyler, you taught me something just now. I did not know that. Yeah, Mind's Eye Tribe is another. That was the one I was thinking of the name of mocap vaults and Mind's Eye Tribe. But yeah, if anybody else has any other questions, let me know. This has been great. Oh, yeah, Taylor. Oh, you're, oh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Hi, nice to meet you, Shelby. Hi. Um, so I was wondering, are you still audi- looking for your own auditions or are you only auditioning through through your agents now? Yeah, I only audition through my agents. Um, every now and then I will have someone directly reach out to me, but that's super rare, honestly. It all pretty much goes through them. Um, I still troll the casting board sometimes. And again, every now and then I'll see something and be like, Hey, why did I not audition for this? Please send me on this audition. Um, but no, I, my agents do keep me really busy. I feel, I I love my agency. I'm with Vox. They're incredible. Um, so yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I guess my follow-up question to that then is when you were first starting off and you were at the boutique agency, were you seeking out your own auditions then? Um, and yeah agency ones? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, when I was first starting out, so I started acting as a kid. So I, I had my mom kind of doing that for me and helping me out with that. But yeah, that again, that's how I found out about Backstage and Actors Access and, and, and LA Casting. Those websites are what my mom used when I was younger. So then I started using them as I was older. Um, and then when I was doing commercial on-camera work, they were like, you have to have a Casting Frontier account and you can self-submit yourself on there and it'll go through us. But if you see something that we missed, like just submit yourself. Um, but I will say once you have an agent, the hope is that they're keeping you busy enough that you do not need to be seeking out auditions on your own because they should be sending you out on the majority of your auditions. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, Brian, have I taken any classes that I found particularly helpful? Yes. Charlie Adler. He changed my life. He's incredible. He is expensive. He gets booked up very fast. He is so worth it. I want to take his class again, even though I am very lucky to be working in animation. I still always feel like I want to keep learning again because trends change and you never know. And I just, I have not loved the few workshops I've taken over Zoom. Not that they're bad at all. I've learned a lot still, but there's a different energy of being in the room and actually behind the microphone while learning. So for me personally, I'm just waiting until the pandemic's over, but I do think he's offering some online courses. Not a hundred percent. Let's see. Charlie's been on my list for a long time. I'm not ready for Charlie. He seems like a force of nature. He is a force of nature. He will break you, but he will break you in a way that you're happy that you were broken. <laughs> I did not leave crying, but I definitely was just like, what happened? But I learned so much. Um, yeah, he is, he's my go-to. I know Kalmanson and Kalmanson, uh, have a lot of different classes and workshops that I've, I've heard are amazing. Um, I'm trying to think who else, because some of the teachers that I first I said, that I first took classes with um, now are only doing private coaching, which is also great too. But like Donna Grillo, she I took an animation class with her when I was first starting out, and she also helped me figure out. She was a little more. It was all about the acting still, but she was a little more technical of finding like because when you do animation, there are still certain beats or ways that you say words that or sentences like quick turns learning how to go from yeah I was joking about this and then you're really angry and finding the right timing with animation she helped with that a lot um and she does private coaching and I think she might be opening up for virtual classes again but I'm I, you can't quote me on that I'm not 100% sure but yeah if no one else has any other questions I mean thank you guys this oh wait I think there's one more my process for analyzing a script. I will answer this last one. Um, my process for analyzing a script is, again, I just look through for the beats and I look through for what the relationships are for who I'm talking to in a scene. That's what I always go for first. Um, if I'm talking to my brother, I figure out what kind of a relationship we have. If I'm talking to my, uh, whoever it is in the scene, I don't know. I say I do improv and now I can't think of a scenario. Um, but I just, I, I look for the relationship first and then I figure out where I am. Um, and I figure out kind of like what that exercise was that I was talking about earlier, where it can really change a scene depending on who you're talking to and, and where you are. I think about distance too. So if in the scene I'm standing next to somebody, I'm not going to be yelling at them like this. Like I'm, this is too loud to be talking to them. 
I'd be talking to them pretty quiet and I'll adjust my gain to make that work for the scene. And then maybe they move across the room. It says that I make sure to read every single little piece of action because sometimes you'll see an action that your character does. And I like to add a sound for that action if it makes sense. Cause sometimes it's not above the line where it says she laughs. Sometimes it's like, oh, so-and-so laughs and then does blah, 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 whatever it is. So I'll add in that laugh. Or if I pick up something heavy, I make sure to read those actions. So I'll pick up something heavy. So I, I really look through all the actions and the beats and the moments um, but yeah, it kind of comes from there. And then again, I look at the character art to figure out what this voice is going to be, where it's going to live in my, in my throat or in my nose or my head and my chest. Um, and I kind of just build it all from there. And a lot of the times it's trial and error. I had an audition yesterday that my first read is so different than what I ended up sending because it changed as I was reading it, where I realized like, oh no, this characterization isn't exactly right. I think I like this a little bit more. So just by playing around in the booth and listening back as well, I, that kind of helps me figure out a scene. No, Simba. Yeah. Any tips on doing Harley Quinn's voice? <laughs> uh, just have a Brooklyn accent and have fun with it and pitch your voice up and get a little squeaky sometimes. <laughs> I hope that helps. But yes, I, I, this was amazing. Thank you guys so much for joining. You guys had such good questions. I rambled quite a bit cause I was really nervous, but this was so fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks. I know zoom is so funny where it's quiet. I see all the thank yous in the chat and I appreciate it, but there's that awkward moment where you're sitting there like, okay, now what? <laughs> Thanks okay, Shelby. Thank you. Thank you yeah, very much. Of course. Amazing. Oh, Tammy, you're muted. Sorry about that. Is there anything you can tell us about what's coming up next for you? Do you have anything to plug or is it all top secret right now? Ah, I wish I did. I mean, so with Baby Shark's big show, I recur on it. So I have more episodes coming out. It's on Nick Jr. It's it's really cute. It's super fun. It's, it's from the song Baby Shark. They've made a whole amazing show. Um... Oh, yes, I have an audiobook coming out. This I can talk about. Okay, cool. This is exciting. Everything is so NDA. Um, on May 11th, my first audiobook I ever did, it's a it's a, a full cast audiobook. So I'm just one specific character. It's called The Anatomy of Desire. It's really, really good. I've only heard some clips, but um, some amazing actors are a part of it. And it's basically a courtroom drama murder mystery. Um, and I play an influencer named Cleo Ray. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> So cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. And we're just thrilled. We know how busy you are. And we're thrilled you were able to fit us into your schedule and, and do this class for us. Um, I wanted to let everybody know that at Arts and Learning, in addition to our conservatory classes that currently include voiceover, we also have some great summer camps coming up. I'm going to drop a link to our website again in the chat. And um, we also just started production for Once on This Island Junior, and we will be performing that at Concordia University at their outdoor amphitheater from July 16th to 25th. So you can check our website, which I'm about to type in for all of that info. And there it is. Awesome. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you doing this. This has been a great class, one of our biggest classes yet, and um, it was spectacular. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks Thank again for you. joining, and thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks, Michelle.